Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Keisha Jerome of Evolutus PR, a public relations agency that works with animal rights nonprofits and campaigns, documentary films, books, and vegan companies. She and her husband and Evolutus co-founder Gary Smith are a whiz at generating positive media coverage, helping organizations gain visibility, increase their followings, and generate revenues. Evolutus has promoted animal rights and veganism in the mainstream for nearly 10 years. Their clients include Mercy for Animals, Veganuary and Tuferki, among many others. Keisha and Gary also run the popular blog The Thinking Vegan, through which they've mentored hundreds of new and transitioning vegans and developed a comprehensive guide of frequently asked questions and resources for people motivated to go vegan for ethical reasons. The couple have each contributed to several published books, including Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, I wonder who wrote that, (laughs) Circles of Compassion, Publicity to the Rescue, Plant-Powered Women, Plant-Powered Men and more. In addition to running a busy PR firm, Keisha is also a volunteer leader for the Vegan Professional Network a Facebook group of like-minded vegan business owners and other professionals, which currently has around 7,500 members. In this interview, Keisha discusses the difference between PR and marketing and how the two complement each other, what activities a boutique PR agency does for a brand in addition to pitching media, the symbiotic relationship between PR and social media and why both are important for raising your brand's profile, the difference between project-based PR and long-term retainers, why hourly rates disadvantage both PR firms and their clients, the major misconception business owners have in regards to working with a PR agency, and much more. Here's the interview with Keisha Jerome of Evolutus PR. Hello, Keisha. Thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So the first question I ask everyone is why they run their business. What are their drivers behind it? Why do you do what you do? So what's your why for running Evolutus? Uh, why is because we are animal activists. And so dedicating our professional life to this movement is is really our form of activism. And Gary and I felt it was the best thing that that he and I could personally do for the cause. It's it's what our background is. It's what our experience is. And so bringing that to animal activism and to the animal rights movement made the most sense for us. Perfect. Wonderful. So you've been running Evolutus for some time now. Let's talk about when you when you were first starting up the company. So, you know, you're going to be a brand new PR firm. Um, what were some of your key challenges when you were first starting out? 
Well, then as in now, I, I think the biggest challenge of running a business is, is honestly running the business, is, is doing the financial and the administrative things and, and making that time to do it. And I think that was something that I wasn't as prepared for in the beginning. Um, that's, it's time that really has to be taken away from those things that you actually do for a living. Um, it's time that, that gets taken away from, in our case, working with our clients and, and making the world a, a better place and, of course, generating income. Um, so I, I think those are the, those were, I think for us, were the key challenges. Our business has very low startup costs. Um, there wasn't, you know, we, we don't carry inventory. We don't rent an office. We are working from home. So we were fortunate in that way. But I think I was very naive about how much effort was actually involved in in running a business. Yeah, it's a good point, and I think a lot of people realise that. And particularly, you know, if their business, like you say, it's, it's kind of maybe creative in some way, or you know, is uh, you know, kind of or sexy, dare I say it. Um, but then, you know, you find out, yeah, but you can't just do that. You either you've got to do all this this day to day stuff, unless of course you outsource that stuff to to some to someone else. Um, so, what about in I'm sorry. Sorry. Most people are not particularly in a position to outsource in the, in the beginning, and and you kind of are just thrown into the fire, and you have to figure it out yourself. Exactly, exactly. Just curious as well, like what about when you started out in PR? Because everyone sort of you know thinks of PR. You know, there's obviously a lot of uh, as a quite a glamorous industry. And, you know, there's lots, obviously, lots and lots of PR firms and agencies out there. Were was there any kind of you know challenges in in just simply setting up another PR firm? Uh, not, no, not quite. Um, for Gary and I, it was, it was, it was a, perhaps a gap out there, um, because we are so very focused on animal issues and vegan products and, and over, over time we've shifted to do more work with nonprofits, uh, animal nonprofits and, and campaigns. But I, I don't think that that was, that was quite the, the thing, um, I mean, there was probably lots of things that I don't know. There are probably lots of things people were saying about us that I don't know. <laughs> cool. So what about you talked about some of the challenges when you started out and, and still continue and I mean, kind of doing that, handling that business side of things. Um, what challenges do you find as a PR professional of getting vegan issues and vegan businesses in particular into the media? Well, that that's definitely a big one. I mean, there are many, many challenges when you're talking about the nuts and bolts of, of what we do with our firm. Um, our clients are, are extremely offensive to major industries, uh, and that's, you know, not just food, but pharmaceutical industry, medical, healthcare, you know, fast food, you name it. And, and these are the these are the companies that advertise on the nightly news, Um so those are that's the number one hurdle I think, um, and, that, and that's not something that I'm you know I'm not coming from a, a tinfoil hat conspiracy position. I mean because we've had journalists um, be very forthcoming with us and, and ha- have told us that our our clients are not going to get coverage because of relationships with advertisers. Um, so that's that's certainly the biggest challenge. Um, there's also some resistance about. The kinds of stories that we tend to tell. I mean, we 
work on a lot of issues that are more systemic um, in terms of animal exploitation, animal cruelty. You know, some of these are very serious issues, and it's, I mean, they're, they're certainly a lot more serious than, you know, vegan cupcakes to die for. Um, so that's a challenge. You know, and then the other side of that is that those those happy lifestyle stories, those vegan cupcakes and, and happy animal rescues and food and, you know, some of those positive aspects of veganism and and animal issues are, are pretty well known by now um, compared to when we started. And so the bar is a little bit lower on those, um, but it's still, you know, because we're dealing with some, some pretty some pretty serious issues. It's still tough. Um, you know, there's another there's another piece, too, that we've noticed more recently is that there is somewhat of an element of fatigue about animal stories and particularly animal cruelty. Um, and we've had, you know, we've had television outlets say, you know, we can't really do this story about, you know, cruelty at a pig farm because we just covered, uh, you know, an animal cruelty story about chickens last month. And so even if they're different different animals and different farms and totally different abuses, uh, you know, to some of those people in mainstream media, they they think of them as the same story. Right, so that's, right. That makes things a little tough, too, these days. So in terms of, I hear what you're saying about the animal cruelty issues, what about in terms of vegan brands? Because we've seen a lot of positive media coverage around vegan businesses, you know, like you mentioned, that positive lifestyle aspect. And I know that you you represent vegan brands and you have done as well previously. Are you finding it easier to get them into the media than, say, you know, the non-profits that are dealing with that hardcore animal abuse issues? It is, but it still takes a little bit of a delicate hand because, honestly, even with a vegan product or business, the animal rights story can only be a part of what we talk about. We have to also say, oh, and it's better for the environment. Oh, and it's healthier for you and your kid, you know, and it's gonna, you know, if you have food allergies, this is a great product. So, unfortunately for me, and I have to grit my teeth a lot while I do it, um, but we still have to add in other positive messages as well. Right, cool. But like you said, are you feeling that, that media are a bit more open to at least having vegan products featured or as part of the story? Oh, oh yeah. I, I mean, it's it's not such a foreign concept anymore. And, and I I've, you know, have plenty of people who say there's... Uh, that now they have vegans in their family, and now they're you know some of the kids in their in their kids' class are vegan or or people at their church it's it's and that's true of journalists as well they're they're not so afraid of it anymore it's not so exotic and and between you and me, there's even vegans who work at major national news outlets who are maybe a little bit you know in the closet still um, <laughs> but, <laughs> that's so funny but you they're say out that, there. <laughs> it reminds me of an article I wrote for Diva magazine, which was called "Is Vegan the New Gay?" Because it's like I think it was 
Portia DeGeneres, Ellen's wife, who actually said when she go when they go out to like dinner parties, people are much more comfortable with them being lesbians than them with them being vegan. So it's kind of like you know they've got to come out again, or like you mentioned, yeah, being more in the closet. So that's funny. <laughs> Excellent, cool. So nowadays, let's talk a little about PR and marketing because nowadays, like PR and marketing professionals, this I've seen sort of discussions, you know, saying that their skills are becoming almost interchangeable. So in your view, because I know everybody's got different ways, what's in your view, what's the difference between PR and marketing? Well, it's interesting because I, I would never say something like that. I would never say that PR and marketing skills are interchangeable. I, I mean, I imagine marketing to be quite different, is to be trying to sort of find or connect with a, a particular audience that wants to buy a product or that you want to, you know, get a donation or get a signature on a petition or whatever it is that you're, you know, that you're asking somebody to do. Um, that sort of connecting with audiences directly is a, that's an experience that, you know, PR people don't necessarily have. Um, and, you know, and I have to say, please, you know, that I am, I am almost 45 years old. I've been doing this for a really long time. So I don't know what they're teaching the kids in universities now. I (laughs) I can be completely off on this one. Um, but it's, I mean, the marketing people, they collect a lot of data, don't they? Boy, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, <laughs> numbers is just not my thing, as we've established. <laughs> I, I mean, I, and PR obviously supports all of that, and, and they they dovetail sometimes. But even great PR isn't going to make somebody buy a product or or click on that button. And, and I feel like marketing people are much better in in those in those ways, and and. You know, that's not that's not within my area of expertise at all. I, I can certainly help create a company's reputation. I can help them look very credible in their marketplace. I can help them come up with these, you know, with other content or assets that that reinforce that that company is is a wonderful company. But you know, I'm not uh, I'm not really that gifted when it comes to making someone click that button. Got it. So it's more kind of like indirect. You're like, well, the marketing people are kind of getting people to go, okay, you know, buy this product. Here's why, kind of thing. You're kind of doing that that in the background, ensuring or reinforcing the message that the company is credible and trustworthy. So I'm guessing they're probably dovetailing. I, I think a little that bit. I like to have the marketing people. I, I like to have the marketing people um, as a. Sh- I like to use them as human shields between <laughs> the sales and, and the sales department. So if the sales department has a problem, then they need to get through the marketing people before they're allowed to talk to me. Got it. Got it. Okay, that's good. There we go. Human shields. I like that. <laughs> so just related to that, let's talk about because I think some people, in particular, you know, business owners, they're uh, you know, particularly smaller, perhaps smaller business owners, they're a little bit they're not quite sure exactly. Well, what does a PR agency or what does a publicist do? So let's talk a little bit. In addition to media relations, which is where they're reaching out to get media on your behalf, let's talk about some of the the things that a PR agency or a publicist does. Hmm. Well, I, I I know where you're going with this, and and I really do, I, and I really do appreciate it. But Gary and I f- focus primarily on media relations, and and so getting press coverage is just a huge chunk of what we do all day long. Secondarily, we produce a lot of written materials and content for our clients that may or may not be part of that. Eventually, you know, that may not be related to media coverage. 
but you know, and what it's such not, as? Can, it, can you give an example? Like, what kind of content are you referring to? Uh, we may do a lot of writing for their websites. Um, we do a lot of ghost writing of of articles uh, that the client gets their name on, and and honestly, that's kind of that falls under press coverage also because for the most part, we're trying to get those articles placed elsewhere. Um, but you know, even things like getting products or a book or a film reviewed is also part of the pursuit of press because we're hoping that that review is going to end up on a website or in a publication. Um, so, so really, you know, almost all roads lead to that uh, external media coverage. Um, but especially in our long-term relationship with clients, we do inject ourselves into a lot of their strategic uh, decisions and, and get involved in their, in their campaigns and some of their other operations. Um, and, and that's something that doesn't necessarily happen right away. It might happen a month or two or three after working with a, a company or, or an organization, um, but those are things that we like to be involved in, in as well. Um, but really, you know, I would say 80% of our, our life is, is working for that for that media coverage. For sure. And I think it's, it's good not to, to un- for, for people listening, not to underestimate the amount of time and work that does go into getting um, media placements. Because I think there's certainly, from what I've read, there's far more of a shift now to, uh, you know, targeting individual media with tailored pitches rather than sometimes in the old days, you know, you'd kind of press a button and take that spray and pray approach to a whole range of media. Are, are, you, are you seeing that kind of shift in terms of, you know, perhaps taking more time, uh, you know, to do those tailored pitches? Or is that something you've always done regardless? I think you have to do all of it. I I know that people on your side really dislike the spray and pray, but then on the other hand, when you don't spray and pray, when you are doing a targeted pitch, you know, I I, I can't tell you how many times a journalist comes back and says, great, do you have a press release on this? You know, as if that's what they were waiting for all along. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking... But wait, I thought sending out canned press releases was not what you was not your cup of tea, and now you're asking me for a press release. You know, so you never know. I, I, yeah, I think you have to do both. Um, I apologize to journalists everywhere. <laughs> on behalf of everyone in my profession, which is, you know, about as beloved as used car salesmen, uh, I I do apologize. But sometimes you still have to spray and pray. You know, if if I have a client who's who's getting ten dogs um, from Los Angeles Airport that night, I sort of have to spray and pray to make sure everybody gets this information at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's still a lot of that that has to be done, uh, uh, sadly. Um, sure. But yes, we also do you know focus on top tier media for this or getting an exclusive for that and and working you know more individually. With journalists, of course, a lot of times we do that as well. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between project-based PR versus long-term retainer work. Can you explain what that means and what that involves? Sure. So it's almost almost the difference between strategic and tactical. Long-term retainer is working under a contract for generally a certain range of services every month. Uh, and that is an agreement that just continues in perpetuity as long as both sides are happy. Uh, in project-based pricing, 
we'd be focused on a more short-term agreement of uh, working on a specific thing. So it really just depends on on the client and what their need is at the time, Um, uh, like a book launch or a film launch or even a crowdfunding campaign. Those are things that don't need that long-term service or that sort of ongoing relationship. Uh, You just need a few months of, of some pretty intense tactical work and then it ends and then we move on to our next project and so does the filmmaker or author. They, they go their merry way and we shake hands and we say, hey, call us next time. Um, if you're a larger company or an organization and you're very active and you're very dynamic, then yes, you probably want to have a regular monthly agreement, but there's also sort of hybrid arrangements where you might consider something to be a, an initial project, like a, a company launch might be a, a good, you know, a short-term project, but then it rolls over into a longer-term relationship where, you know, we would continue to, to support the company and, and work for the company as things change and grow and, and what have you. So it, you know, it really, again, there's no better, there's no worse. It's just what that particular situation calls for. Um, I would. I personally don't like pushing people into retainer agreements when it's not appropriate, um, because it's hard for me to continue to manufacture newsworthy content if there really isn't any. So I, I would almost yeah. discourage some some of. The, I would almost discourage some of those long-term relationships, you know, when they're not appropriate. That's interesting. Then, how, tell us a bit how that works, because, like, say for example, I'm a vegan business owner, I'm a brand, and I, you know, want to, you know, raise my profile, so I hire you guys. So, how does that kind of work, like, in terms of time? Like, you know, how much time, you know, might you spend on, you know, if it's a project or if it's a retainer? Like, how do I know I'm? Get, how does a business owner know they're getting their money's worth? I guess that's probably my uh, question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit cheeky, but I know people are thinking that, and sometimes people think, oh, PR is really expensive. So, you know, why should I hire a PR agency? So I guess what I'm trying to do is dig a little deep to give people an idea of, you know, really what, what's involved so that they kind of go, oh, yeah, I understand it now. I think you should ask my clients that, that question. I don't think you should be asking me. Uh, <laughs> well, we know you get results. Obviously, you know, you get the media results and what have you. But that's funny. When it's on a long term, like a retainer thing, then what exactly are you doing each month, for example? Well, I, well to go back a little bit, before even getting to that point, you know, the prospective client and I have had many conversations and many phone calls and possibly meetings and we've, uh, we've, we've discussed all of the goals and I've given suggestions and before we even get to the point of a contract stage, they have a proposal from us and the proposal gives details on what we want to accomplish, what we recommend they do, what we need from them what we plan to do uh, and and a lot of just a lot of it is just covered up front saying here's what we are going to propose that we do for this initial engagement now Gary and I tend to work in smaller chunks even in a retain under a retainer agreement we're only going to be looking at like the next 4 to 6 months anything beyond that point it just becomes too hard to predict what's going to be going on with the company at that stage so even under a retainer agreement, we would work that proposal term and then we would give them a new set of recommendations for the next period of time. So in that way, we're kind of staying on top of each other and we're not letting the relationship 
get stale or stagnate because we are we're going to be coming up with you know newer and newer things as time goes by. So in terms mm-hmm. of what some mm-hmm. of those monthly service pieces might be, we might have news releases going out. We might have a number of, of articles being pitched to various places. Um, we might have some award wins in there. There might be some reviews or giveaways going on that we're promoting. Uh, you know, it really, I just, you would have to look at sort of the, the arc of that initial period to figure it out specifically. Um, but we're kind of looking, you know, but, but that's, that's the way we're doing it anyway, is we're setting up a whole laundry list of things that we want to get accomplished in that, you know, in that first period. And then when Got that period ends, we stop and we all, we all reevaluate. How are we doing? Did we do what we said we were going to do? Did this come true? Well, that didn't come true. Why was that? Well, because we weren't ready because this, you know, so it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing situation. Got it. No, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I like what you said about the four to six month. I've often thought that with like, you know, PR agencies doing these 12 month things kind of thing. And I'm kind of like, well, how do you know what's going to be going on in 12 months? So I like the fact that you do those in those those shorter bursts. Now, I believe as well, Kija, you also what you don't very rarely work on an hourly basis. You work on a project basis. Talk a little bit about that and why you do that, because I know sometimes clients might say, well, you know, how many hours have you worked for me? Do you know what I mean? Again, it's that kind of perceived value in their minds. So talk a little bit about that. How how many hours are you? Am I going to get? How many hours are you going to give me? <laughs> I'm going to give you as many as it takes to get the job done or to get the best possible result. Can I mention for a third time how how finances and numbers are not my thing? The, the, <laughs> the main reason that the main reason we don't bill on an hourly basis is because it would drive me nucking futs to actually have to count hours. Because if I had to keep a timesheet or something, I, I I mean, I would rather just gouge my eyes out. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, maybe I don't have the attention span. It's just, it's a layer of administration that I really can't be bothered to do. So I, we never say this entitles you to X number of hours per month. And there's never any, um, oh, we didn't use all of our hours this month. Or, oh, we used too many hours and now we have to borrow them for the next month. I mean, I've heard of agencies where that is common and it's like you have the the people in the agency who are working who are stealing hours from 9 months down the road and it's it's not fair and wow. i don't understand how anybody can do that and it's just i think it 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 sets up a a very one-sided and abusive relationship i think and then you know again on the client side if they feel like they're not getting, if they feel like they haven't used up all of the hours that they're paying for, then they're throwing all sorts of garbage paperwork projects and things that have really no value except for them to, to think that they're getting their money's worth. So again, on both sides, it, that can happen. Um, I don't really like it. I don't feel like I should be penalized because I might do some, I might get something accomplished in a shorter period of time than somebody else. I mean, if it takes, if it takes Gary and I four hours to pull off a really great New York Times story, but it takes some other agency 20 hours, why should that agency who took 20 hours get paid much more than us? Mm, good point. I mean, we're clearly better at it because we got it done faster. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. I mean, so some, so some of my issues are 
purely administrative. I don't want to do the paperwork. And some of them, and, and because I don't want to do the paperwork, I justify them with all of these nice stories about how fair it is for everybody. But I truly do think it's more fair. But I, but also the reality is I just, I, I don't want to do paperwork. Got it, got it. I suppose what I'm trying to get at is like for the, for the client, like because you know we've talked about NPR before. You know, there's there's no real guarantees because you know you can't force the reporter to to cover the story. So how do you kind of get around that? Do you have to do you, do you then show the effort that you've put in? So you say, okay, look, we you know we pitched X amount of media outlets and you know we got this amount of coverage, so that they kind of again it comes down to that perceived value of you know because you know I've heard business owners say, well, I don't really know what my publicist does kind of thing and you know obviously they may not have a very good publicist so I, I guess it's just that you know reassuring clients um that you know you are working your took us off to to get them coverage well for one thing they hear from us all the time okay you know, for, for one thing they're, they're constantly getting emails and phone calls from us saying did you get a chance to look at that q a did you did you did you talk to the veterinarian what did this person say did you do this did you you know I mean, I think one of the, the, the things that you learn right away when you work with a PR agency is with, when you're the business owner and you think, oh, I hired a PR agency and now that PR agency works for me. No, it's the other way around. You now work for that PR agency because that PR person is going to be calling you 20 times a day, nagging you to get things done, saying, you know, I need to know what your schedule is next week. Do you have time on Wednesday? Time? You know, I'm going to call you, I'm going to email you, and I'm going to text you until I get an answer from you. So, no, the, the, the truth is when you hire a PR agency, you actually go to work for them. Mm. So that's I don't an think interesting my, one. That's, that's a good wake-up call, I think. people listening they're going to be like oh okay but I think that's right I'm really glad you're saying this because you're right I think a lot of people do just think okay that's it I can just hand it off to the the publicist and that's it and I don't have to do anything so I'm really glad that you've addressed this no and the the truth is if if I'm nagging you for an answer to a question it's probably because a journalist is nagging me it's I'm not doing it for fun so open my email read my email answer my email those are that's that's the thing that I need from you. No, I I don't think I don't think our clients sit around and wonder what we're doing all day long because we're we're more or less in their faces. I think they wish they heard from us less <laughs> in the course of an average day. And that's good to know. That's probably the the mark of a good publicist to uh, you know versus some of the ones that you know will kind of take your money and do as little as possible for it. So that's it's a benefit. If Keisha's in your face, if Keisha and Gary are in your face, folks, that's a good thing. <laughs> so for businesses, um, obviously to succeed, you know they need some form of expert help to help their business grow. So in terms of PR, at what stage, Keisha, should a new vegan-run business hire a PR professional or seek professional PR help? You know, I, I I don't think that there, that's such a black and white thing either. I don't think there's a right answer to that. I think it does depend a lot on what you do for a living and you know what type of business you you run. Um, I I suppose it's generally safe to say earlier is better than later. Um, co- launching a company or a product, it, you you really only have that one chance. Uh, so if you launch poorly, then you're really making it more difficult for yourself later on. Um, uh, as you know, journalists are all about, you know, shiny new things. <laughs> yeah. You can only be shiny new. Uh, you in particular are very, very about shiny things. Uh, you, you, mag, you little magpie. Um, but <laughs> it's true. <laughs> 
so uh, you know you have to sort of take advantage of that that newness um but and I think I talked about this in in your book as well. Uh, what a nice time for a little plug for your book. Uh, <laughs> but journalists are, are are also all that aside. Yes, they like shiny new things, but they are sometimes very risk averse and are sometimes not that interested in covering something that they've never heard of before or something that's really out of the box or something that is generally unproven. And I've had that explained to me in ways that I do understand, particularly with print media and a new company or a new product who say, look, well, you know, by the time my magazine hits the shelf in four months, we don't know if this company is even going to exist anymore. So I, I do understand that side of things as well. Um, I, I guess the answer is higher PR when you're new, but also when you have at least some sort of track record that shows that you're stable and that you can be trusted and that you are credible and have maybe a couple of endorsements already. Um, and I, that sounds very paradoxical, but I'll give you an example if you like. That yeah, I that'd be lovely. Appropriate. Yeah. So we recently launched uh, the a company called New Wave Foods here in, in in California. They are making a very very convincing vegan shrimp. It's uh, so it's a oh, lab yeah. product, but it's uh, entirely vegan, no animal cells. In fact, they're using red algae uh, as well as other vegan ingredients. So we launched the company, huge bang, great coverage. But when we launched them, they'd also already gotten a little bit of funding and they had some traction with a chef at Google who wanted to put in a huge order for Google's cafeterias. So they already had some of those pieces about the story of the company that made that launch all the more spectacular for them. If they were just a little company with no money and no connections, I don't think it I don't think they would have done what they were able to do on the media side. Right. It certainly helped with the Google angle. I remember seeing a lot of media coverage. In fact I covered it on a news roundup on the podcast as well. And certainly having that Google angle, you know, Google chef saying that they'll bring it into their cafe, that certainly um, you know, yeah, gave it that that extra push. Yeah, and that's that's right. a good point. So in terms of obviously a lot of vegan startups, you know, or vegan small business owners, they say, Oh, they can't afford to pay for, you know, PR help. What's your response to that? Oh, please don't call me and beg. Um but- <laughs> I mean, you, you you can't do nothing because you can't afford to pay somebody else to do something. So you really do need to to try do it to try doing it yourself. I mean, you really shouldn't do nothing. Okay. All right. And what are the benefits? So for those who maybe have got a little bit put aside, or they've you know they've got a bit of a budget put aside, what are some of the benefits of hiring a PR firm or a publicist over doing it yourself? Well, I would say number one is not having to do it yourself. I suppose that's obvious. Yeah. Um, you know, that perspective, um, experience, you know, you're, you're owning, you own a business and you're an expert at that business while a, a PR professional is an expert at PR. Um, possibly also an expert in, in a lot of what you do for, you know, it could be also have some expertise in your industry. So I think a PR person is, 
going to put your like, your business in that greater context, in the context of other things that are going on in the world, in your industry, or with con- you know what consumers are thinking. Um, PR people generally know how to push the right buttons and package information in, in a way that that you don't because you're in the thick of it. So I guess a PR person is really seeing the forest and the trees, where nice. you know yeah. a lot of people who are in you know people internally. Are, are really not getting the big picture because they're focused on on their core business activity. Um, I like to think of a PR person as also being a good sounding board. Um, a PR person should be able to tell you that no, your idea is really stupid. We shouldn't do that. Um, and you know that is maybe a hard conversation. It's maybe a hard thing to hear, but that's a good thing for if you have a PR person you can trust to tell you that no, this idea is stupid. Um, and I, I think this goes back to also, you know, our very early question about what are the challenges of running a business, especially starting up. I, uh, in the same way that I have to struggle to make the time to run my business, if you're taking this on yourself, you're going to struggle to make time to do PR. And I, I think it's fine if you if if you think you're going to do that, that's wonderful. Just be honest with yourself. Are you really going to do it, or are you just saying that you're going to do it? And, and I, I think, I think some people are just going to shove it off to the side, you know, along with their quarterly reports or their inventory or, or their, you know, whatever all of those other business chores that they have to do. And, and that means it's not going to get done. I think. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a really good point. I like that analogy as well that PR people can see the the forest and the trees. I like that. That's great. Um, so, a lot of business owners they're very keen. They jump on social media. You know, it's become so popular, but they may not consider PR. So, talk a little bit about the benefits of doing both, and how do they work together to produce results? So, the I think the best way to explain it is. Social and I, I agree with you. I I I love that social media is ubiquitous, and I love how easy it is for people to to jump on board. I think the way I the, the way to explain it is social media is how you're going to have conversations with your customers, your followers, your audience. Uh, social media is ha- is is that platform to have that conversation. PR is a great way to start the conversation, or it's a way to start a really good conversation with those followers. Um, PR is, is really, really good at, at generating that social media content that is very shareable and very viral and very sticky. And I've seen TV news clips or, or online, even online news articles from even really small outlets that they'll get shared thousands and thousands of times on Facebook. And so the reach of social media is, you know, social media is so wonderful for amplifying all of those stories that PR is placing in the first place. But I do have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with social media because honestly, a part of me dies inside whenever I hear someone say that they heard about XYZ on Facebook. Oh, I heard about it on Facebook. Well, everybody says something like, you know, I mean, I'm, and I'm sure I've said it a whole bunch of times. Oh, where'd you get that? Oh, it's cool. I, I, no, thanks. I, I read about it on Facebook. 
but that really doesn't mean anything. I mean, that's like saying I read about it on the internet. I heard about it on the internet. Well, what is that? You know, where? What did, what did you see? You know, what did you see on Facebook? Chances are it was going to be a news story that you saw go by on Facebook, or maybe it's a, you know, maybe it was a video or maybe it was something from a blog, you know, but there was going to be something that you saw quote unquote on Facebook and it made you click and it made you want to find out more. So I've just become concerned when I hear, I heard about your client on Facebook because I don't know what I can track that back to. I don't, I don't know what that, that has no meaning to me anymore. And I fear that eventually clients and businesses are going to think, oh, well, if I just put all of my effort into, into Facebook, then we should be fine. But what they're not seeing is that PR is generating all of that content that is filling Facebook up and that is getting people to share and comment and communicate with each other and giving you that opportunity to have those conversations with, with your audience. So that's, that's sort of my, my own, my own personal drama with social media is that, you know, that I heard about it on Facebook. I just, I I just want to stab myself in the heart. I know what you mean, and that's a really good point because, um, you know, like you say, pretty much the majority, by far the majority of content does, you know, has appeared somewhere else. And as as you say, it's been generated by some kind of PR. And then, of course, we share it on these platforms. I think what will be interesting, though, is that I think think Facebook have started to bring some new thing in where they've done deals with the New York Times and other publishers trying to get content published directly on their platform. And that's going to be an interesting one. I think for, for for both publishers and also yeah for for clients and PR clients and agencies as well. I want to say just really quickly too about social media that these platforms and Facebook in particular, but I think Twitter and Instagram are, are going to follow suit eventually if they aren't now. They're all trying to squeeze revenue out of people who have pages, Facebook pages for their businesses or whatever, and that doesn't you know it's that is the case whether you are a big business or a small business or a nonprofit, or if you're a blogger who has a Facebook page for your blog, uh, as Gary does with Thinking Vegan, or whether you have, you know, some Etsy store or whatever it is that you do, you know, you can have a ton of fans, but the platforms themselves are making it a lot harder for those people to see what you're posting unless you pay them. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't honestly think I know anybody right now with a small business, vegan or not, who says Facebook is, is doing good for them lately um, because exactly. you know, they're yeah. making yeah. it so difficult. I don't put that much effort into our social media, um, honestly, but, I mean, we have about a 1,000 Facebook fans. But if I, put, if I put a story about a client on our Facebook page and if I see that 80 people actually saw it, then I'm delighted. And I have to say that's pretty depressing that 80 out of a thousand people to me is like, oh, well, that was a very successful post. Well, no, it actually was terrible, but these yeah, days, that's, what you, that's what you can expect with Facebook. That's right. I think I read the figure, some, or someone was citing the figure is about 1% of your page will now see it organically, which, yeah. you know, okay, if you've got a million likes, maybe that's you know, it's still quite a few eyes, but even so, if you've built up time to get, you know, that amount of, of uh, likes and followers, um, it's it's still not very good. And I guess that's another reason to to stress that, you know, uh, that PR is important and that, you know, not to just to, uh, you know, put everything just into social media, but to make sure that you're getting out in other forms of media, uh, different kinds of media from mainstream right through to independent right. and new forms of media. So let's talk a little bit about expectations then. We, we you know, we touched on this uh, a little bit earlier about 
you know, sometimes people want guarantees because, you know, they're parting with their hard-earned money, you know, they're, they're hiring someone, you know, to, to do media outreach, to do PR for them. Um, how do you manage those expectations? Because as we've established before, you know, you can't, a PR person can't force, you know, reporters to cover the story. And sometimes, unfortunately, they are just simply not interested or for whatever reason, the story might get bumped because something else comes up. How do you manage those expectations? I mean, there really are no guarantees. Um, you know, the only thing I can guarantee is that my client is going to get my, my time and my attention and, and my best effort. Um, we live in Los Angeles, and I can't tell you how many times a client, uh, a news story on a client has been bumped because Charlie Sheen went to rehab or Charlie Sheen crashed his car or, you know, things like that that take over the headlines around here. Um, for, for so many news cycles um, because this is a company town and entertainment is the local industry. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure that, that that's, you know, I mean, the best I can do is say, well, I'm, I'm really sorry that happened, but I hope they make it up to us uh, sometime in the future. But, you know, I think my clients understand that those things happen and they know that we worked really hard to to make that happen and, and you know, I don't I, I think they don't hold it against us that Charlie Shane went to rehab. <laughs> Hopefully they'll blame Charlie. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, blame anyone, have, blame the celebs. <laughs> we had a story scheduled on national news and then the Pope announced that he was retired. We had a story scheduled on national news and then Steve Jobs died. Um Prince died uh, recently and that interrupted some that that messed up something else we had planned i mean it's it's just sort of a it's the story of our lives damn these celebrities dying gotta stop it (laughs) really really they really need to go vegan and take very good care of themselves because i'm tired of them dying (laughs) so what about in your because you've been in pr for a long time now what mistakes have you seen vegan business owners most often make in regards to their pr efforts whether they're trying to do it themselves or whether they're working with an agency such as yourself uh, well, when they're when they're trying to DIY it, I think the biggest mistake everybody makes, whether they're vegan or not, is they're they're far too promotional. They're they're just overly salesy. Uh, people need to understand, and I think this is also something that we discussed in the book, or I I think it was in the book as well. That talking to a journalist is not the same as selling to a customer, and then journalists right. are, are smarter than the average bear, and they're they're not, you can't snow them like you can snow the average consumer. Um, for be- vegan businesses in particular, um, I, one mistake that I see, and I, I think we see it occasionally on Vegan Professional Network, uh, which you and I are, are very involved in, uh, a, a network of about 8,000 vegan business owners. Check us out. Um, but what I what I see from time to time is uh, business owners who they assume that vegans are going to support them, or they assume that vegan customers are automatically going to find them. And I, you know, first, well, that's nice. That would be nice if that happened. But first, they have to hear about you. You know, first they have to find you in the first place. Uh, they can't support you if they don't know you exist. Uh, and that, of course, is the PR challenge. And secondly, uh, you know, nobody's really entitled to 
being supported by the vegan community. I mean, we still have to earn it. We still have to do the work. Um, I would say even sometimes our nonprofit clients make an assumption that, you know, they're doing something that is so amazingly innovative or so, you know, noteworthy that even the mainstream media is going to drop everything to cover this. And, and so we have to say, well, let's, let's take a step back from this. Got it. That's really good advice. It's so true. <laughs> so true. Um, so, okay, so, so we've got someone now. They're convinced about PR. They know they need um, some PR help. What should a vegan brand look for when they're seeking a PR firm or a publicist? Well, I mean, you should find somebody who understands what it is that you're doing for a living. I suppose that is an obvious one. Um, I think you should look for someone you like because you're going to have to deal with them a whole lot. And nothing is as unpleasant. Take it from me, nothing is as unpleasant as having to have close business relationships with people you don't really care for. Um, You should probably look for somebody who has some track record in the media outlets that you want to reach. Um, So someone who is really good at working with you know, women's magazines may not be the best choice if you're looking for, you know, food magazines, for example. Um, and obviously you should look for somebody that you can afford. Um, I think that it's nice to get all four. You may not be lucky enough to find all four. Uh, three out of four might be the best you can do, but that's that's okay too. I mean, I, I personally... I, I This is something I honestly lose sleep about. I really go back and forth about whether a vegan brand should hire a PR agency like ours that has that sort of vegan cred or if they're better off with an agency that has some sort of domain expertise, like if it's a fashion company. Um, I, I wonder if they, a vegan fashion company, should they do vegan PR firm or should they look for a fashion PR firm? And I, you know, I just don't have any experience uh, doing fashion PR. It's something I'd like to learn, but I, I certainly don't want to learn at a client's expense, you know, since it's something I don't have a background in. Um, I'm just not sure. So I, so in the past, I have, you know, when this kind of thing has come up, I, I generally suggest that those types of companies look for somebody who has that domain experience, who has that, say, fashion PR experience. But I honestly don't know if that's best because then you're being represented by a firm that is also representing, you know, leather and fur and feathers and wool and, you know, pitching those same, pitching those animal products to the exact same editors that they're pitching your vegan handbag or shoes. But, you know, and I, so I don't know if that's the best situation to tell you the truth. It's just, I, I'm not sure how to advise somebody. I guess there's some expensive trial and error that needs to go on. Mm, yeah and I guess that's something that you know that they need to decide as well like you know which is stronger for them you know to work absolutely with a vegan brand or to go you know okay I'm I'm willing to do that trade-off I know they're going to be pitching other animal products but as long as they get me in as well I don't mind and I guess that's a personal decision when it's on the behalf of the the business owner right yeah I mean are you you ever going to be that that firm's top priority considering all of those other accounts that they're working for. And, you know, I mean, I think a restaurant is another good example. And we have a friend years ago, this was 
before we even started our agency, but a really good friend who opened a vegan restaurant and he hired a restaurant PR firm like you do. And they treated his account just like they would treat any other account, you know, whether it was fast food hamburgers or, you know, any other animal exploiting company. So they really didn't get it. They really didn't get what he was doing. And he was very unhappy. And I, I think, you know, looking back, I think, well, I probably could have done a better job than the people he hired, uh, even though I didn't have any particularly relevant experience then. But, I, you know, I, I think I would have done a good job. I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I, I'm very torn on this, as, yeah. as to the obvious. <laughs> I think you're right, though, at least that have some kind of understanding of of the values and where you're coming from, because, you know, certainly, you know, because as a PR person, like, you know how to pitch a story, like, you know how to come up with an angle and a story, and you're probably likely to have far more, uh, you know, ideas in regards to, you know, what vegan is and, and how to make it stand apart and perhaps get coverage over an animal-based um, product. So I think at least having some kind of shared values um, probably makes um, a lot of sense um, but conversely then what do you look for when deciding whether or not to take on a client because I know you're you know you guys have been doing this for a while and you can pretty much pick and choose your clients um, what do you look for other than obviously the fact that they're vegan and they fit with your ethics right. Right. Um, what, what do you look for when deciding when to take on a client particularly a vegan business brand like you said obviously the first thing is is this something that we personally believe in um, and, and we have turned down things that we are not 100% behind. Um, you know, as we talked a little bit earlier, but lab-grown meat that comes from animal cells is something that is a no-no for us um, compared to, you know, New Wave Foods, the shrimp company I mentioned, which is all vegan, no animal cells used. So that's a big one. Um, and I guess, it, I, I guess it should go without saying, but it still comes up quite a bit, but anything that, uh, any sort of project that encourages people to buy quote unquote happy meat or humane meat is not going to fly around here because um, we're just never going to endorse eating animals. Um, I mean, I, other than that, I don't know that there are specific rules. I think that for us, it's more about the personal connection that we feel with not just the the company or the organization, but also the, the people that are involved because, and this is kind of timely because we, we actually just turned down a fairly big piece of business over some kind of personal issues that came up during the, the, the proposal and contract stage. And we just decided that the relationship with this person just wasn't really working for us. And so we said, no, thank you. And it's, you know, it's a difficult choice every time, but you know, if somebody is just, if somebody just seems that they're going to be difficult to work with um, or they're unprofessional or, you know, not communicative, then we just kind of turn that down. Um, and sometimes you have to get to know somebody a little bit before you realize, like, mm, you know, I'm not sure if I entirely trust this person or I'm not sure if they're, you know, really going to do what they say they're going to do. But um, and then just uh, little things like people, people who are late uh, we've, we've got like a phone call set up and they blow us off or they're late or a meeting or whatever. I like, I flaky people do not work well with us. Cause as I mentioned, we're, um, I'm, I'm going to be hunting you down and I'm going to be texting <laughs> you and emailing you and calling you. And if you're not calling me back, then we're going to have a real problem. Um, but so those, those personal things I, I think honestly are, 
that's something that has become more and more important to us the longer we do that the longer we do this for a living. And it's interesting that you say that, you know, because now we can pick and choose who we work for, which is not entirely true, but I appreciate the the vote of confidence, but it's, it is interesting how much more those personal things are, are, how much more important that is to us now than even, you know, five or six years ago. We just really need, we just need to work with nice people. You know, I, I, I have so many things I would rather be doing than working for difficult people. Even if I love what they do, you know what they're doing for the cause yeah if they're difficult yeah. i just life is too short and I, I think as well i would just put a touch on something you you mentioned about you know people rocking up late so i think for people listening so it's really important to know because if they're turning up late to say a phone call with you or they're blowing you off are they going to then do that to a journalist or a reporter and if so that makes you as the publicist look bad um because you know you can't afford to have those negative relationships with journalists so for people listening you know if you are going to hire a pr agency you know you you have got to be sure to make sure you know you get back to your publicist because you know they may well be asking you a question that a journalist need answers. And if they set you up with an interview, you better make sure that come hell or high water, you're on that interview. Um, you know, because obviously that would impact your relationship as a publicist with those journalists. Uh, it rarely happens that clients blow off journalists. It has happened notably, I should say, but it does. it's very rare that that happens. Me, they feel they can blow off. Journalists, they don't blow off so much. But either way, it's a bad habit to start doing it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Keisha, for those two, you obviously, you know, worked for, for PR. You and Gary worked, um, you know, for PR people, PR firms with, uh, before, and then you started up your own agency. So for people who aspire to owning a vegan-run business of any kind, what, in your opinion, what are some of the key things they need to take into account um, before making that jump from employed uh, employment to self-employed? Wow. Um, I I think, from, I mean, from a PR perspective, obviously, building your company's image and identity really starts early on. Um, it starts from day one, if not before day one. Um, and then I recently, I read some really good advice about trademark, about making sure that your company name and your product names and all that are trademarked. And so that's something to definitely add to the list of tasks to do very early on as well. Um, but things like, you know, buying your domain names and getting a professional website done and um, social media pages and, you know, whatever, printed materials, business cards, whatever, things like that. I mean, those are things that really contribute to your, your company and your brand's image. And it seems like it's not really a big deal, but the decisions that you make in those early stages are very important. Um and if you have to ask for advice on, you know, hey, I'm kicking around a couple of names or what do you think of this design versus this, you know, ask some friends, ask some people you trust for advice and and, and get some of those decisions made early on that are the right decisions. And I say this from, this is, this is a word to the wise because Gary and I early in our business's lifespan had a, a website that was designed by a waitress at a vegan restaurant for way too long. And it was horrible. And I was, I was, I mean, she was very nice to do it for us. I thought it would look a lot better. Um, but it was so bad. I never even wanted it to anyone. I never even wanted to send anyone our, our web URL because the website itself was so bad. And it took me way too long 
uh, to get it fixed by an actual professional who wasn't a, a waitress at a vegan restaurant. Got it. <laughs> and there's me thinking that waitresses in all vegan restaurants, particularly in LA, were actors, not web designers. But there you go. <laughs> she was a, she was not an aspiring actress. She was an aspiring graphic designer. <laughs> okay, got it. So now there's lots of uh, thanks for sharing that. So there's lots of options now. There's so many um, vegan products, uh, vegan services as well, and they they stand up not only within you know against other vegan products, but also you know against their animal based counterparts. So there's a lot more competition. Um, how can vegan business owners use PR to stand out both within the vegan business arena and outside of it? Well, I think we have to take a moment and appreciate how, how nice it is that the marketplace for vegan products is growing to the point where we can have that competition or we can have so many different choices. Um, that's nice, right? That's, that's nice. Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, I mean, I think there's room for everybody. I think I think each company has to focus on what makes them unique and what they do that others possibly aren't doing. Um, you know, vegans are extremely loyal to the companies and the and the products that that we like that we feel are you know serve us and serve our community. Um, we're so loyal that you know sometimes I wonder if a relationship between somebody who likes coconut milk ice cream and somebody who likes cashew milk ice cream. I, I wonder if that relationship will ever work out. Uh, so we are, <laughs> we are very loyal. Um, I mean, I, I, and I think it's lovely that there is that choice. Um, what I don't like is I don't like to see vegan businesses or even organizations sort of unnecessarily duplicating services or products. I, competition is fine. Duplication is a little bit weird. So I think as long as you're putting a spin on what you do, something that is distinguishing you from others who might be in your category or segment, then I think we're okay. A good example is all the different cheeses. Um, you know, some of them are really aimed at, you know, are more like packaged and, and presented as more kid-friendly. Um, so they're really going after sort of that family market. And then there are other brands that are more, special occasion cheese, you know, luxury item type thing. So even though you will say, well, look, there's all these great, you know, there's all these vegan cheeses on the market now, that's competition. Well, each of them really represents something a little bit different from the others. So the more the merrier. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm particularly loving the growth of the vegan cheese category because when I went vegan 20 years ago, that was like a, a nightmare trying to find tasty vegan cheeses. So I love that we've got so much choice now, which is great. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, my, my, talk... my waistline is really proof of the <laughs> growing vegan cheese market <laughs> oh yeah because you're amazing in the kitchen actually as well not only are you a talented publicist you also make delicious mouth-watering food which i hope one day to experience when i <laughs> eventually come to la again but uh, <laughs> so just on that so we've talked about there you know it's great that um, we're seeing you know lots more um, vegan products and lots more positive media coverage um including mainstream and business media um now we've also started to see i've noticed lately a little bit of negative Negative stories are also around certain businesses. So, what PR tips can you offer around reputation management? Well, don't do anything wrong in the first place. I suppose it's. I suppose that one goes without saying. I mean, don't get in trouble. I, I mean, honestly, we're we're a, 
a very ethical community and certainly vegans are not going to take too kindly to it when companies are dishonest or are not playing fair. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's out of hand that there be negative stories that come up every now and then. Sometimes companies deserve to have negative things said about them. Uh, but, you know, I think the problem comes is when, when companies are, are proven to be dishonest, uh, I think they need to admit it. They need to own up to it. They need to uh, take their licks and apologize and, and ask people for another chance. Um, I don't think it's not all bad press is unjustified. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's how you respond to the bad press. I think that is really going to make a difference in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you say about kind of owning up, particularly if, you know, if you have done something wrong or people have called you out on something, far better to, to cop it. Um, because I think people have more respect for you generally as a brand rather, because a lot of the big brand, like, you know, in the past, traditionally, a lot of non-vegan brands do that thing of, you know, hire the PR person to, you know what I mean? Deny everything kind of thing. Whereas I think right. people nowadays are more, more open to, to people being honest and, and transparent. So that's great. So a lot of that sort of ties into one of the fears, particularly small business owners and maybe solopreneurs. They're a bit worried about, um, you know, doing the media in case they're misquoted or they're made to look stupid or the resulting editorial, you know, the hatchet job. What um, kind of advice would you give to those people? I mean, at least they're talking about you. Uh, <laughs> no, really. In 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 the theater, sometimes they say that a, a bad review can sell almost as many tickets as a good review because people can't believe that it's really this bad. We have to go see that. If they say it's really awful, let's go see it. Um, no, we, <laughs> we we have definitely had a lot of times that um, journalists have said to us that they. I mean, they were inclined to be very antagonistic t- towards a client. You know, they going, they went into an interview with sort of that mindset that this, you know, crazy animal activist is, you know, is, is going to be horrible. But the person that, that did the interview was just so likable and so earnest that they they completely turned around. You know, they, the, the journalist walked out of the interview with a completely different <laughs> impression than when they went in. Um, I mean, it doesn't always work out that way, but, but certainly sometimes, um, I mean, sometimes you still get screwed. Um, and, uh, and honestly, in, in defense of reporters, you can have a really good interview. You can feel a connection. You can feel very, you know, you like them, they like you, they can do a really nice story and then it's going to be torn apart by their editor or somebody else, you know, up the ladder. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that the reporter was misleading you you know, it doesn't it doesn't reflect badly on them necessarily. It just means sometimes you get screwed, and sometimes the reporter gets screwed too. Yeah, but there's no reason not to do PR because you say those instances tend to be less than having a, a positive experience. Yeah, you know, you do your best, and you show up, and you try, and you know, and you try again tomorrow. Exactly. And that's, what, that's what we all do. Exactly. Now, you and Gary run this business together. Do you have any other kind of staff or is it literally the two of you? Nope, just us two. Just the two of you. Do you collaborate? Do you write? So do you do all the writing or do you collaborate with other professionals like writers or or others or do you do the whole thing yourself? No, you know, we 
honestly, it's it's a measure of pride for us to do everything ourselves. And the only time that I have really handed off work, it's been more of the administrative stuff. It's been, you know, reports or research or, you know, the, the dreaded clippings. I don't know if you've ever worked on the agency side, but uh, just compiling and tracking your clients' yeah. media clips is, is mind-numbingly boring. In the old days when we worked for big agencies, you know, we always had assistants and interns and people like that to do that work for us. And now it's just us and I (laughs) (laughs) I came all this way in my career to own my own company. And now I do all of the grunt work that I haven't done in 15 years. (laughs) Um, But but so technically, yes, we have occasionally given work to other professionals, but they tend to be the, the more, you know, office admin type jobs, not really the, um, say, professional level, because we, we need to do all of it ourselves. And our, our clients need to know that they're always going to get our best work. Exactly. I was going to say X is a selling point for you guys because so many of the bigger agencies, you know, they'll be wooed by, uh, you know, the top people, but then their their account is actually handled by interns or, or juniors. So I think that's a real selling point for you that they know, people, clients know that they're going to get, you know, the actual um, business owners, the agency owners to, to do the work. And that's, that's probably assuring. Right. Um, right. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And also, uh, they know exactly who to blame when some, you know, I, it's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, honest, I, I joke with clients all the time. I, I say, I, I'll put my best person on it, which they know means Gary. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, when something is screwed up, I, I'm the only, I, you know, it, it's going to be one of us who screwed it up. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I gotta be honest. It was. I'm gonna say it was me. I did that. Um, my, my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, you've only got each other. You can only go. Oh, it was Gary, and he can go. No, no, it was Keisha. Yeah, that's right. There's there's nobody else here to blame. <laughs> that's funny. So, look in terms of marketing and PR for your own business for Evolutus. What have been? Can you share some of the marketing strategies you've used to, you know, that have been successful in growing Evolutus? Uh, I think that. I think that most of our work comes through referrals and then it comes from people that we've worked with before and they are recommending us to somebody else or they're, you know, changing positions or going to work for someplace else and they, they want us, they want to bring us along. Um, You know, another thing that we've always done, especially in sort of our early to mid phase was, and I, this is not, when I say we, I mean, Gary, this is something that he started doing, um, but, you know, to, to reach out to companies that we already liked and, and products that we already used and say, we really love what you're doing. Um, are you, are you guys getting enough attention for it? You know, are are you getting the attention that you deserve and can we help you? Um, because that was, it was honest and it was flattering at the same time to be able to go and say, you know, we love your product, but nobody's talking about it. Nobody's ever heard of it. Let us help you. Um, but I, I think in general, the best uh, sort of marketing strategy for us has been having really good people around us and, and having having good friends. 
Excellent, excellent. Yeah, there's nothing quite like word of mouth and personal recommendation. Um, So final couple of questions then are around the kind of mindset. So, you know, a lot of people say that running a business, it's it's a fastest form of personal development because it forces you to, you know, get out of your comfort zone, develop new skills. What personal qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful business? And I think in the process of starting or building a business, you just, you get to know yourself really well. I mean, assuming you don't already, and and perhaps you do, and that's why you decided to do this in the first place. Uh, But I think just knowing yourself is is essential, and and you have to sort of be your own best friend and your worst enemy and and be able to critique yourself really honestly. Um, You have to really get to know what your strengths and weaknesses are and your your work habits and, and you know, your, your capabilities and where your limitations are and what you like to do and what you don't like to do because, you know, you start stacking up too many things on your plate that you don't like to do. They're just not going to get done. Um, so I think that that would, you know, in terms of, I don't know if that really counts as personal development. but Yeah, no, that's, that's very, very useful. Very good to know that. And I say it's particularly as well because you and Gary work together and you're also husband and wife. So, yeah. you know, that can be quite challenging, a couple working in a business. Um, how have you managed to to maintain the strong personal relationship while working together? And have you got any tips you can offer to others in mm-hmm. in this situation? <laughs> hmm. Well, I, you know, we married and partners and friends and all of that all at the same time. That, that you know, going back to the getting to know yourself real well, and we have to know each other really well, and we have to know, you know, we have to know each other's strengths and weaknesses. Um, and he certainly knows mine. He knows he can tell when I'm getting stressed out and, and, and when he needs to step in and take some stuff off my plate. And I can tell when he's getting really confused. And, uh, you know, we have, so we, <laughs> we we have to get to know each other pretty well. But it's it, it's funny because, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago you had you had our friends Florian and Shannon on and yes. who own, own the Cineholic franchise. Um, but, you know, one of the things that Florian always says is that it's really easy to put in those long and hard hours when you run a business that's also a form of activism or advocacy for you since, you know, we're no longer just working for money. We're, we're working for a movement. And like Gary and I are pretty bad about that sort of work-life boundary. Um, I, wish we, <laughs> I wish we were better, but it is, it's what we eat and sleep and breathe. And so we work all the time. Um, and it's not that it's, you know, it's not bad for the relationship. I mean, one of the things that we are good about is we are good about um, take like creating time to just sort of talk and not, not do little, not do the work activity, but like Fridays, you know, probably a lot of people, same thing, but Fridays tend to be a pretty slow day for us. So a lot of time on Fridays, we make a point of going out to lunch, just the two of us, and then we talk about what's going on with our clients or what's going on in the movement or what's going on with other organizations. And so, you know, having that time that is not necessarily focused on work, but talking about some of the issues and things that are going on, you know, that's, that I think is really helpful. But yeah, we're not really good at the boundary thing, I, I have to uh-huh. say. 
Yeah, I get what I get what you're saying. I mean, I do work with my partner Tracy, and um, you know, and do some working in her business. And you know, sometimes we kind of get carried away, and particularly because again, we work from home. So do you know yeah. what I mean? I'm quite happy working late into the evening and what have you. But we designate like Sunday as much as we can. Like if we're not speaking or at a you know an event or doing you know some kind of uh, activism, then we designate that like as a family day where we're at least away from the computers. You know, maybe get out to the park or some thing and, and away from the kind of the work environment and that that's that's really useful thank you very much for for sharing that um so final question what's what's your long-term vision for for your company and yourselves um i i think i eventually i mean long term long term eventually i'd like to to spend a little bit less time working directly with members of the media and kind of more time on the consulting and, and advisory side in, in, ter- in terms of you know, campaigns or outreach or, or even, I suppose, new products. Um, just more, more to have more general consulting relationships than, than the kinds of relationships that we have now. And one of the things that stops me is that the, the agreements and contracts for things like that are just very different. And I, I have not yet figured out how to charge <laughs> for that appropriately in a right. way that's, that's fair to everyone. Um, I mean, I suppose what would really do best is if a relative I've never heard of suddenly died and, and left me millions of dollars so that I didn't have to charge at all. But I, I, guess, it's, <laughs> I guess that's not particularly fair. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I would actually like to, speaking of that, I, I would like to someday learn a little bit more about the fundraising side of running nonprofits because uh, number one, I find it very interesting. Um, I, I suppose I'm, I'm weird like that. Um, and because it's another thing that, you know, I think it's another way that we could possibly bring value to our clients, you know, advising them more on the, on the fundraising side of things. But I'm just, I'm really impressed by people who know fundraising and development. Well, they, they really, it's, it's such an interesting field. Um, and, uh, and, and if, if we could do all that, from like a, a villa in Mexico, that that would be really nice. <laughs> that does sound nice. <laughs> um, look, that's been wonderful, Keisha. You've uh, you've shared some wonderful um, insights and expertise, and I think everyone listening will have a far greater understanding of PR. You know, the, what really kind of goes into it, and why it's absolutely necessary to to raise the profile of your vegan brand. So, thank you so much for joining me and being on the show today. Can I put in one quick extra plug? It's not really a plug, but uh, of course. Our, our good friends, uh, Jasmine and Marianne at, at our hen house, have, oh, have yes. they've been really big supporters of ours. But one of the things that they've said that I just thought was so kind, is, you know, in speaking about us, is they say, animals need good PR. And I just, I really like that. I, I just, I want that to is fabulous. That. That I is really, really appreciate good. that. <laughs> that is so true. Animals do need good PR and they couldn't get better PR than Evolutus uh, PR with you and Gary. So um, it's fantastic. It's been lovely speaking with you and uh, sharing all these great, uh, great pieces of information. So thanks again, Keisha. Thank you so much for your time. So that was Keisha Jerome from Evolutus PR. You can find out more at evolutuspr.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and then going to episode 38. Now for our vegan business news roundup. 
A small vegan catering company has teamed up with a larger firm to bring vegan food products to Philadelphia. Specialty food and cheese retailer Di Bruno Brothers have collaborated with Vegan Commissary, a South Philly catering company with a weekend market at Wolf Street, reports Philly Eater. According to Di Bruno Brothers, customers were asking the company to stock more vegan cheeses and the team were impressed by the quality of Vegan Commissary's offerings. Latkes, vegan ricotta gnocchi, paella and more are available at Di Bruno Brothers Rittenhouse shop. Their other store locations will follow suit in the coming weeks. So this kind of partnership can benefit a vegan business by getting more customers turned on to their brand. And as I've said in previous episodes of Vegan Business Talk, the more that larger companies see how popular vegan products are, the more likely they are to hopefully eventually go completely animal free. I'm erring on the side of optimism, I know, because, well, why not? (laughs) We're seeing so many great innovations in the plant-based arena that it's becoming harder and harder to justify consuming animal products. So I think collaborations like this are a positive move. Lagusta Yearwood has opened another vegan coffee store in the college town of New Paltz, New York. It's called Commissary, no connection to the previously mentioned business, and it's close to her first store, Lagusta's Luscious, reports the New Paltz Oracle. The move follows Yearwood's recent opening of a confectionery store in Manhattan's East Village. The store's co-owner, Jacob Feinberg, describes himself as a coffee addict and enjoys travelling the world to find new vegan and coffee shops. As well as offering a range of sweet treats, Commissary also runs seasonal specials such as a recent pizza night featuring homemade mozzarella cheese made from nuts. I'm thrilled to see Lagusta's business expand. She's one of the interviewees featured in my book, Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And she's a fantastic example of a social justice and environmental and animal activist turning their advocacy to running a sustainable and cruelty-free enterprise. By Chloe is continuing its fast growth with the recent opening of a vegan dessert store next to its flagship location on Bleecker Street in New York, reports Grub Street. Sweets by Chloe will operate as an independent bakery serving coffee and delicious, colourful and fun vegan baked goods including raspberry coffee cake, pecan pie and even a maple bacon cupcake. And if that's not enough, by Chloe has acquired ice cream store Alchemy Creamery and it plans to use the vegan ice cream in push-pop form. I'm delighted to hear this. I visited by Chloe last year in October 2015 and I enjoyed the food so much I popped in again on the day that I flew back to Sydney to stock up for the long plane ride. So I'll definitely be checking out this new dessert store next time I'm in New York. Could things get any better on the vegan food front in Los Angeles? When it comes to innovative vegan businesses, they have it pretty good. The latest arrival is ice cream company Enjoyer, which offers vegan, gluten-free, handmade popsicles and ice cream bars delivered to your door. (laughs) Yes, you don't even need to get caught up in the infamous LA traffic. These delicious organic frozen treats come to you. 
The company is the brainchild of native Lithuanians Virginius Vychartes and Paul Zemetitis. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, and if I didn't, I apologise to both of you if you're listening, who make the bars in a kitchen in downtown LA, reports LA Weekly. Each bar contains 70% fruit, fresh fruit, not frozen, and there are 23 flavours available, including pistachio, avocado, passion fruit and mojito. Well, if I was living in LA, I'd definitely be picking up the phone and placing some orders. (laughs) What a great initiative. Finally... Often when people think about going vegan, even if they're passionate about animal rights, they worry that they'll have to give up their favourite dishes, including their childhood ones. Fortunately, savvy business owners are creating vegan versions that not only rival their animal-based counterparts, but often taste even better. The Parlour Bakery in Florida is one such business. Just a year after opening her first location in Plantation in Broward County, owner Alejandra Miranda is about to open a second outlet in Bocaratan, Palm Beach, reports the Palm Beach Post. The menu at Parlour includes handcrafted cupcakes and doughnuts, along with savoury offerings such as pizza rolls and Cuban sandwiches. And here's the beauty of it. Each dish is inspired by one of Miranda's childhood memories. I love that. And it's great to see this business grow and respond to customer demand. The second location came about because there were no vegan bakeries in the area and people told Miranda they wanted one. Yet another move towards vegan world domination. (laughs) I'm loving the fact that people are continuing to want and love vegan products. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. (laughs) 